Hey, it's Jaden. Thanks for jumping into another sermon from Daryl. Continuing this series in Revelation, today Daryl preaches from Revelation chapter 19, verses 1 through 10, spending the majority of the message on verse 9, which reads, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Daryl takes his time expanding on the theme of the Bride of Christ and the delight, intimacy, and dignity to be experienced when the church accepts the invitation to the table and accepts the invitation to the marriage. Let's jump in with Daryl now. I invite you this morning to focus with me on just one line in the last book of the Bible. And whenever we do this, just focus on only one line, we need to make sure to read it in context. The one line is found in Revelation chapter 19, verse 9. And the immediate context is Revelation 19, verses 1 to 10, which is the concluding scene of the fourth act of the five-act drama that Jesus put on for John on the prison island of Patmos in 96 AD. If you are able, would you stand for the reading of God's word? And after this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her idolatries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And again, they shouted, Hallelujah, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne and they cried out, Amen, Hallelujah. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, both small and great. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roaring of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Then the angel said to me, Right. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are true words of God. And after this, I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, do not do it. I'm a fellow servant with you and with your brothers and sisters who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. This is the word of God. And I love John for his honesty. I mean, here's the beloved apostle, the one who shares this intimate relationship with Jesus. And he's down on his knees before a creature. Even he misses the whole point about worship. You may be seated. The one line that I invite you to focus on with me this morning is the beatitude in Revelation 19.9. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper 
of the Lamb. This is one of seven Beatitudes in the last book of the Bible. One of seven. Are, are you surprised there'd be one of seven, given all the sevens throughout the book? Seven candlesticks, seven churches, seven cities, seven messages, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls. Beatitude one. Blessed is the one who reads and those who hear the word of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it. Beatitude two. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Beatitude three. Blessed are those who stay awake and keep their garments, lest they walk about naked and people see their shame. Beatitude five. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him a thousand years. Beatitude six. Blessed is the one who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. Beatitude seven. Blessed are those who wash their robes. They will have a right to the tree of life. They will enter the gates of the city. And Beatitude 4, the pivotal Beatitude, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. The Lamb is getting married. Jesus Christ, the crucified, risen, ascended, reigning Lord of life, is getting married. And through one of his angels, angel simply means messenger, the invitation has gone out throughout the whole world. Did you get one? In the mystery of things, you would not even be here today if you had not. In light of the rest of the revelation and in light of the rest of the biblical witness and in light of centuries of theological reflection on the imagery in this beatitude, in this one line we're going to focus on, I suggest that the invitation reads like the following. The Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit, the breath of life, the giver of life, out of his sevenfold fullness, invite you to the marriage supper of the Father's Son, the Lamb of God, who has won the victory over sin and evil and death, who takes away the sin of the world. RSVP ASAP. The Lamb is getting married. And you and I have been invited to the wedding feast. As guests, as those who will witness the exchange of vows, but also, well, we have to ask the question, who is the bride? The lamb is getting married. So who's the bride? In chapter 21 of the Revelation, John identifies the bride as the city of God. 21-2. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. 21.9. An angel says to John, come up here and I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. 
And then he's given this grand vision of this new city, which turns out to be the new creation. The new city is the new creation and the new creation is the new city. And God so loves this new creation. God so loves this new city that he chooses to speak of it in terms of a relationship between a husband and a wife. The lamb is getting married to the new creation. And we have been invited to the wedding feast. As guests as those who will witness the exchange of vows and as the bride. You see, it turns out that the bride is also those who live in the new city. The bride is those whom the lamb has purchased out of the dying world to live in the new world. Chapter 5, verse 9. Worthy are you to take the scroll and break its seals, for you were slain, and you purchased for God with your blood men and women, boys and girls, from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. 14.3. 144,000, the redeemed people of God, have been purchased from the earth. The Lamb has bought people from all over the world. And like a bridegroom in the first century, he has bought a wife. He's paid the purchase price with his own blood, with his own life. His bride is all of those who are redeemed. You and I and millions more. We are the bride. We have been invited to this wedding feast as the bride. I mean, talk about self-esteem. Talk about dignity. In the last book of the Bible... Jesus uses a number of images and metaphors to describe the nature of the relationship he has established with us. We are called followers who follow the lamb wherever he goes. We are called citizens of the kingdom. Actually, we're simply called a kingdom. We are called priests over and over again. Priests to his God and father. We are called son, singular Sons and daughters, yes, but he uses the singular term son because women and men have been included in his relationship with the father, in his son-father relationship. We have, as Larry Hurtato puts it, been enfranchised into Jesus' status as the son, and we now participate in this father-son relationship he has. Those who overcome will inherit, it says in 21.7, and I will be his God and he will be my son. Men and women loved by the father in the same way the father loves his only begotten son. And we're called the bride. We're called the wife of the lamb. It's the dominant image the revelation of Jesus Christ uses to describe those who belong to Jesus Christ. Bride, wife. Now, the wonderful thing is, this is not unique to the last book of the Bible. It's all over the place. I've had a lot of fun this week looking at all the different places where we see this. There are more places than I had realized. For instance, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, early on in his earthly ministry, he finds himself in trouble. And his disciples are in trouble because they're not obeying the Pharisees' rules. That, that happened to Jesus a lot. <laughs> and particularly not obeying his rule about fasting. And Jesus responds, Mark 2, 19, while the bridegroom is with them, 
The attendants of the bridegroom do not fast, do they? Jesus defends his disciples' actions on the basis that they've been invited to a wedding party. And he is the bridegroom. He names him such right at the beginning of his ministry. Many of Jesus' parables are about wedding feasts. I know of three of them, at least, where the wedding feast is in his honor. Matthew 22, verse 2. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man, a king, who gave a wedding feast for his son. And goes on to tell about those who were invited not coming. And so the servants are sent out into the highway and told to bring everyone in from the highway. And they come and the house is full. Boy, you need to sometimes just follow that word full throughout the scripture. God wants to fill the house. One guy, however, sneaks in without wearing appropriate wedding clothes. And he didn't bother to prepare. In Matthew 25, Jesus tells a parable about his coming again. And he speaks to these ten virgins who were responsible for their lamps. Five of them didn't bring oil. And they hear the joyful shout, look, the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Jesus' first miracle is at a wedding feast in Cana of Galilee. Now, now, why begin your public ministry at a wedding? Unless you're hinting at where it's all going to go. John the Baptist is asked about his ministry. People want to know about John's ministry relative to Jesus' ministry. And John the Baptist responds that I am the friend of the bridegroom, John 3, 29. John the Baptist sees Jesus as the husband of the people of God and he himself as the friend of the bridegroom whose job it is to bring the husband and wife together in the bridal chambers. And then Jesus meets a woman at a well in Samaria. Jesus meets a woman at a well. Now, that ought to ring all kinds of bells for us. It certainly did for people steeped in the Bible in the Old Testament. For in the Bible, what happens every single time? What happens in the Bible when a man meets a woman at a well? A wedding wedding is going to ensue. He's meeting his bride. Isaac's servant meets Rebecca at a well. Jacob meets Rachel at a well. Moses meets Zephora at a well. Jesus says to the woman at the well, go call your husband. She responds, I have no husband. Boy, I wonder how Jesus bit his tongue on that one, because I'm sure he wanted to reveal the mystery of what was happening to the Samaritan woman. He wanted to say, now you've got one. In the upper room. Before he goes to the cross to purchase us, Jesus says to the disciples, they need not be afraid. Why not be afraid? Because he's going to the father's house to prepare a room for us. John 14, two to three. It's what a groom says to his bride in a first century betrothal service. Over a cup of wine, he speaks this new covenant. I go to prepare a place for you. And when I prepare that place for you, I will come again and take you to where I am, that you may be where I am. This is why the first century spoke of taking a wife. In his great chapter on sexual ethics in 1 Corinthians 6, the Apostle Paul asks, do you not know that your body 
It's a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own. For you have been bought with a price. Glorify God with your body. Bought with a price that the bridegroom has come and he has bought us. We are not our own anymore. In 2 Corinthians, Paul reveals, he reveals that the source of his passion in pastoral ministry 11.2, for I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I betrothed you to one husband, that is to Christ, that I may present you as a pure virgin. And then there's that moving section in his letter to the Ephesians, where Paul calls husbands to love their wives just as Christ loves the church. Ephesians 5, 31 to 32. For this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking of Christ and the church. Great mystery indeed. Now, in speaking of Jesus as the bridegroom and we as his bride, the Bible is not only giving great dignity to us, he, the Bible is giving great dignity to Jesus. This is one of the highest Christological titles you can give to Jesus. Because in the Bible, in the Old Testament, God and God alone is the husband of the people of God. And now the New Testament is claiming a role for Jesus of Nazareth, which only the living God should have. For example, Isaiah 54, God says to Israel, fear not. For you will not be put to shame, nor feel humiliated, for you will not be disgraced, for your husband is your maker, for the Lord has called you like a wife. Isaiah 61, I will rejoice greatly in the Lord, my soul will exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness, as a bridegroom decks himself with a garland, and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. And on it goes, Jeremiah chapter 2 and 3, Ezekiel chapter 16, and then Hosea. Hosea is just this one long, sustained opening up of God's love for his bride. The lamb who stands at the center in the center of everything, as the center of everything, is getting married. The invitations have gone out. You and I have been invited as guests, yes, but more importantly, as the bride. Which is why I said early on in our series of studies in the Apocalypse of Jesus Christ, that I call this book, the last book of the Bible, a love letter. The whole book is one long love letter to the church in Ephesus, the church that seemingly had its act together. Jesus says, but this I have against you, that you, you, you've lost your first love for all of their ministry and all of their programming and all of their orthodox theology. They were not in love with Jesus to the church in Thyatira, which was under pressure to compromise their loyalty to Jesus, Jesus warns of the real possibility of adultery. He speaks of giving into the pressures of powers around us as adultery. And then to the church at Laodicea, the church that thinks it has it all, but has left Jesus out of the center of its life, 
Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and eat with you and you with me. As I pointed out when we studied that passage early in the series, Jesus here is echoing a text in the Song of Solomon, which is that great love poem in the Old Testament. Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verse 2. A voice, my beloved, is knocking. Open to me, my sister, my darling, my dove, my perfect one. The whole of the last book of the Bible is one long love letter telling us that we are being seduced. That we are being seduced by Babylon the harlot, which is being fueled by the dragon. Not only are we under pressure to compromise, we are being seduced by a false lover who can never satisfy the longings of the human heart. Blessed, blessed, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, what does all of this mean to live in light of this beatitude, to live in light of this invitation, to live in light of this metaphor? I've already suggested one implication, and that is dignity. <laughs> to become the bride of the Lamb is to have great dignity. I mean, to be a disciple of the Lamb, that would be good enough. To be a sister or a brother of the Lamb, that would be good too. To be a priest with the Lamb, oh, that would be good. To be his friend, wow. But to be his bride? Another implication, delight. Knowing that we are the bride helps us realize the degree of delight he takes in us. The Lamb really likes us. <laughs> Wrinkles and all, warts and all, he really likes us. He delights in us. He finds great joy in us. Zephaniah 3.18. The Lord will renew you in his love. He will sing songs of joy over you. He delights in you. And he delights to give gifts to his bride. Gifts like wisdom and patience and endurance and power and joy and peace. Another implication, intimacy. He wants us to know him. You probably know that the word know in the Bible that speaks of God knowing us and we knowing God, that, that word know is the same word used of a husband knowing his wife and a wife knowing her husband. The Lamb of God wants us to know him even as he knows us. Intimate knowledge. Not only intellectually, but emotionally, a, a total knowing, a deep knowing. I think this is why the Apostle Paul concludes his ode to love in First Corinthians 13 the way he does. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, just as I am also fully known. The bridegroom knows his bride and wants the bride to know him to that de degree of intimacy. Would you agree with me? That all of our longings are really symptoms of our longings for Jesus. Our longings for intimacy. Our culture is just our, our culture. That's one of the ways to name our culture. The longing for intimacy. It's all symptomatic 
of this longing for Jesus Christ. Which is why I think it is appropriate to take songs that are sung to human lovers and sing them to Jesus. I I know this can be problematic, but are there not times when you want to sing to Jesus a song that you would sing to a human lover? There's a new contemporary song going around right now. It sings to Jesus these words. What a friend I found closer than a brother. I have felt your touch more intimate than lovers. I know that's problematic. And you probably don't want to put those words into the people of God for a public worship service. But for private worship. Are there not times when you want to sing such a song? I've found a friend closer than a brother. I've felt your touch more intimate than lovers. Are there not times when you want to join people throughout church history who believe that the Song of Solomon is this love poem of a relationship between God and his people? Don't you don't you want to join them sometimes and actually sing that song to Jesus? Intimacy, bride and bridegroom, lover and beloved, more than a metaphor, a mystery of deep communion and communication of union and oneness. Throughout this week, I found myself singing some of those songs. Loved with everlasting love. Led by grace that love to know. Spirit breathing from above. Thou hast taught me it is so. Oh, this full and perfect peace. From his presence so divine. In a love that cannot cease. I am his and he is mine. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you. Oh, my soul rejoice. Take joy, my king, in what you hear. Let it be a sweet, sweet sound. In your ear. I forgot where I was this morning and was singing that as I got into the subway station. (laughs) She looked at me funny. I was too embarrassed to say you can join the song too. Another implication. Security. He has claimed us for himself. He has bought us for himself. He has sealed the relationship in a covenant over a cup of wine. And come hell or high water, he's going to stick with his wife. In plenty and in want, in joy and in sorrow, in sickness and in health. He's the relentless lover. And he will go to infinite lengths to make sure we stay in relationship with him. Because he's already gone to infinite lengths 
He's already gone into the depths of our humanity to take hold of us. He's already dived deep into the abyss of our sin to seize us. He's already become one flesh with us forever. He will never let us go. He will never get up, give up. He will never walk away. He is in this marriage all the way into the eternal city. Very secure. And another implication Readiness, dignity, delight, intimacy, security and readiness. Revelation 19, 7, for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. And then 21, 2, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. The question is, who does the preparing? <laughs> who does the getting ready? Who makes us ready for this? God or the bride herself? Answer, yes, because God is at work in us, enabling us to get ready. Verse 7 again, fine linen, bright and clean was given her to wear. Given by whom? By God. God gives us what we need to wear to the wedding. God works in us to get us ready for the wedding. Oh, I love what God says to Israel. To faithless, fickle Israel in Ezekiel 30, 16. Re read Ezekiel 16 sometime later today, the whole chapter. Verses 8 to 14. God says, I gave you my solemn oath and I entered into a covenant with you, declares the sovereign Lord, and you became mine. I bathed you with water. I washed the blood from you and put ointments on you. I clothed you with an embroidered dress. I put leather sandals on you. I adorned you with jewelry. You became very beautiful and your fame spread among the nations on account of your beauty because the splendor I had given you made your beauty perfect, declares the sovereign Lord. Which is what he's doing with us, with you, with me. I, I see it happening to you. I, I see him making you beautiful. He, he's adorning you with all kinds of graces. I think you're beautiful. You're beautiful. And I can see how he's making you even more beautiful. How, how does that feel? <laughs> Readiness. He's making us ready because he doesn't want to find us in the arms of Babylon, the harlot. He doesn't want to find us in bed with the harlot when he comes. So he wants us to be dressed and ready to meet the only one who loves us to the depth of our being. One more implication. We now have another way to understand what is going on in the Lord's Supper. In this event, we are renewing our marital vows. Each time we do this, eat and drink in remembrance of Jesus, we are reminded of who he is and who we are in him. He is the bridegroom and we are the bride. And at this table, he feeds us so that we can endure the journey toward that day when he comes to take us to his and our new home. The words of another older hymn, a 19th century Scottish hymn, also have been going through my mind this week. Here, O oh my Lord, I see thee face to face. Here would I touch and handle things unseen. Here, grasp with firmer 
hand, eternal grace and all my weariness upon thee lean. This is the hour of banquet and of song. This is the heavenly table spread for me here. Let me feast and feasting still prolong that hallowed hour of fellowship with thee here. When I feed upon the bread of God here, drink with thee the royal wine of heaven here. When I lay aside each earthly load here, taste afresh the calm of sin forgiven. And then these verses too soon we rise. The symbols disappear. The feast, though not the love. Is past and gone. The bread and wine removed, but thou art here, nearer than ever, still my shield and son. Feast after feast thus comes and passes by, yet passing points to the glad feast above, giving sweet foretaste of the festal joy, the Lamb's great bridal feast of bliss and love. Blessed are those who have been invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. For some of you today, this is the first time that you heard you were invited. And so today's the day to say, yes, I want to come. For others of you today, you've known you've been invited for a long time, but for whatever reason you've been delaying. This is the day to say, here I am, Lord, no more delay. I want to come. For some of you here today, the invitation has gotten lost in a pile of to-do lists and bills. And today is the day to take that invitation out of the pile and say to the Lord, forgive me for my delay. I want to come. And for others of you today, here today, the, the invitation has been buried in layers of guilt and shame, and you do not feel worthy to come. In fact, for some of you, I know I've heard some of you say that you believe that if the lamb really, really knew you, he'd cancel the invitation. I'm here to tell you that the lamb does know you. He knows you better than you know yourself. And he shed his blood to cover your shame and guilt. He shed his blood to take your guilt and shame away. He said to you, I shed my blood for you. I purchased you. I know who I bought and you are mine. And today's the day to shake off the gloom, to lift up your head and say, Lord Jesus, I want to come. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for right relationship, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom. Blessed are those who wash their robes. Blessed are those who stay awake. Blessed are those who die in the Lord from now on. And blessed are those who are invited to the supper of the Lamb. So come. Come.